means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, the podcast. We are doing Chapter 1, Dudley Demented. If you uh, didn't catch it on the intro, we have a new intro for Book 5, Order of the Phoenix, and we're going to have a new break sound for you that we hope you enjoy later. Uh, we do have some other changes for this book coming up. We're going to try to experiment with some host red ads, which will be a little interesting. And uh, we have a link that you can find wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever, um, for some donations. Uh, if you're so inclined, we would really appreciate it. There's a lot of work that goes into making these things. So um, any kind of support uh, would be awesome. And if not, that's fine too. This will remain free to listen and no problems with that. Uh, you can continue supporting us by liking and retweeting and commenting on everything. Giving us a review on Spotify would also help too. So uh, with that being said, this is not only a special episode because we're starting Order of the Phoenix. We have a very interesting guest combination on for you today. <laughs> Yes, you can tell by Elizabeth's laugh that Elizabeth is here. We also have Jen with us here. Hello. This will be interesting for me to try to moderate between the two because, uh, you know, they, they've known each other for a while. They've known each other for a little we while. We might be best friends. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Only for like how many years now? Only for 16 years? Yay! We tolerate each other. For the record, I've also known Jen for a very long time. I've known her longer, so... By like two Get years. on my level. By like two years. We're very competitive about our friendship with Jen. So yeah, this is going to be an interesting episode, so buckle in for that. Uh, I think all three of us have some very uh, significant thoughts about Order of the Phoenix as a book. Oh, we have strong opinions. We have very strong opinions. For me, uh, I mentioned all the way back in like episode one of this podcast, uh, book one, episode one, that Order of the Phoenix was my favorite a book in the series. So I've always loved it. Obviously, it's the largest book of the series. So there's just more Harry Potter to read, which is always good. Uh, a lot of the complaints that uh, some might have I don't see them as harsh critiques. We can get into a little bit more as we go. But I I love so much of it. It, it actually invokes real emotions in me uh, throughout the book. Some good, some bad. But the fact that it actually strikes a chord with you as you read it, I think is a positive for the writing. Obviously, we're just coming off of Goblet of Fire, which also is a great book in a lot of different ways. Um, and we talked a little bit at the end of it how some of it was pulling at the heartstrings a little bit or what have you. But I, I think this book hits a lot of the right notes in my opinion. But Elizabeth, what do you got? It's also my favorite book in the whole series. And not just because the American cover is blue, which is my favorite <laughs> color. <laughs> they just shook their heads at me. It, it is a very cool design. I will give you that. I love it. The very first time I looked at it, I was like, ooh, this is dark and spooky and I can't wait to read it. And the whole thing is so much more adult, I think. I mean, like, yeah, Goblet of Fire was very adult, but this was like whole up a notch. I didn't feel like I was reading a children's book anymore. It was more of a young adult sure. kind of one. And there's so many good characters in this one that I identify with and so many plot points and my favorite magical creatures are in this book. So I'm very excited for it. It definitely deepens the world of Harry Potter significantly. Like it expands upon it and, and draws in a lot more from a lot more areas of the wizarding world. And for Harry sure. is just such an angsty teenager, which we'll get into. And I love it. Well, that's a good setup. Jen, what are your thoughts <laughs> yeah. on this? So I'm okay with being the lone dissenting voice <laughs> on this episode. Um, I, I do not like Order of the Phoenix. Uh, I actually took a bit of a long break between reading the first four books when they came out and I, I had a group of friends in junior high that were very anti-Harry Potter 
So I did not read uh, the last three books when they came out. I read them years later. Um, so I wasn't, I, it was, I was in college when I actually picked this book up at a friend's house and started reading it again. And it really got me back into the series. So I think it's got a very good, there is a good mystery throughout it. There are a lot of compelling things in it. It does really expand the wizarding world. However, when I do my rereads of Harry Potter, far and away my least favorite book. <laughs> One of the main plots that runs throughout it just it grates on me. Okay. Um, so it's just, it's not my... It's not my cup of tea. Uh, I can't wait to get into a lot of uh, the, these little details that we're kind of skirting around now because it's not in spoilers. <laughs> um, but I, I love your point about kind of bringing it, bringing you back into the series because that, that's so true. It uh, that gap between Goblet of Fire and, and Order of the Phoenix was significant. I mean, I could tell you the Goblet of Fire came out July eighth, two thousand, and Order of the Phoenix was June twenty first, two thousand and three. That's a long gap. That's a long, that's a long time. And I didn't realize it was that long, but I remember waiting, being like, "What's happening in the Wizarding World? I want to yeah. know." And it's such a long gap that I, I myself fell out of Harry Potter. I lost track of it. I didn't think twice about it. And then uh, years later, I thought to myself, like, hey, I wonder if I still like that Harry Potter stuff. I wonder if I'm still interested <laughs> in that topic matter. And my dad actually had the paperback version of this book just lying around in the house. And I saw it. And I was like, I'll give it a shot and read it and see if I still like it. And from this first chapter that we're going to discuss today, I was sucked right back into it. I was lucky enough to finish book five, and then, like, book six came out, like, a week later. Like, the timing was spectacular. But That's about just seeing that you guys both took a break. I was like, I'm going to reread the whole series as many times as possible and try to dig out little clues to tell me what's going to happen. And I missed all of them. I was very into it for the first four books. I was like super fan into it, and it was just I was around people who just made fun of it constantly. Rude. So it really took me out of it for a while, and yeah. then I got back into it in college, and I was like, I've been missing out on so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I never had that like negative environment surrounding it, but it just kind of fell off my radar for yeah. a long, long time. But let's get into this first chapter that kind of got apparently Jen and I kind of back into this series. <laughs> In one form or another. The the chapter title is Dudley Demented, which I think is a creative title, given everything in it. But uh, we get just a brief rundown of what goes on in this chapter. We start, as always, summertime at the Dursleys. We get some contact with the wizarding world in the form of some letters from friends. And we get some Harry Dudley interactions, obviously. And we get some Dementors. So, starting off at summertime at the Dursleys. And... I know it almost sets up as a same general intro of very descriptive writing, setting the scene. You know, a lot of people can find slow and boring. Uh, I know when I was a student, and I know I'm sitting with an English teacher, so this is going to be a problem. <laughs> but when I got assigned books to read uh, in class, I would always struggle to get into books because it would always have this like descriptive long explanations of what the scene is and I always found it so boring and now that I'm a little older a little wiser um, I kind of like it but I don't, how do you think this starts off with Harry lying in a flower bed well I mean for me it made me identify with him so much because he's desperate for news which is the same as us as readers like we've been waiting three years to find out what's going on with Voldemort and he's like anything out there anything at all like i'm gonna sit in the flower beds listening to the news which i love how the dresses are like dudley doesn't care about the news why does harry care about the news like we as readers we want to also know what's going on so yes it's slow but it's like that's the point that there is no news and it's torturous to not have anything to go off of to elizabeth's point from earlier this was also a good intro in the sense that it didn't feel like it was meant just to be a rehash of all of the previous books. Yeah. It yeah. does start off in a way where it fills you in with backstory, but there's a point to it. It's not just a, a blanket reiterating of what happened in the last book, like, you know, the intro for Chamber of Secrets or something like that. Or that darn chapter two of Goblet of Fire that I hated so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this one did tell us that there are water skiing birds. We don't have that on US News. That's true. We also we are lacking. <laughs> uh, to get to your point about uh, a maturity 
uh, of sorts through mm. this book. We get that right off the bat with a description of Harry's growth spurt, just yeah. physically. And you're just getting like little hints. She's seeing little hints of like relationships are maturing. The kids themselves are maturing. Their thought processes on things are growing up a little bit. And I have literally a physical representation of um, things are changing. Things are changing in Harry's life. Like you said, Dudley not interested in current events, uh, but he is interested in vandalism, smoking, throwing rocks at cars and children. If you want to talk about like growth, like Dudley has gone from being this vastly overweight child who needs to be put on a diet by the school to just like has strength and is using it for being a punk. More so than usual. <laughs> I like vandalism and smoking is one thing. Rocks at cars and children, though. He's I a mean, hooligan. <laughs> those darn kids. <laughs> Harry keeps making fun of them. Is like, you're who are you really beating up? You need a crowd, a whole gang around you to beat up like some eight, ten year old. Like, come on, man. He was twelve, Dan. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, what do you think about Dudley's little transformation here, Jen? Uh, it's not totally shocking. He was a bully when Harry was little. He's setting his sights on smaller, more helpless children. He's got a whole group now to, you know, have his back and to, to talk him up now. So he's turning big, into a neighborhood menace. Big D. Big D on the prowl. What a nickname. <laughs> uh, we also get knowledge that uh, Mrs. Fig is asking him for tea often, which he doesn't seem to enjoy going over there for that activity. Uh, I, I think it's clever that Harry's actually trying to find unique ways to listen on the news and find, like, the non-obvious signs that Voldy is returning. Yeah. Like, I, I like the random disappearance that no one can explain or the random accident that seems suspicious. Um, I think that's a pretty clever thing on his part. And Vernon even, like, comes at him like, why do you even need to listen to the news? Like, your world doesn't affect ours. And you're like, eh, kind of does. Kind of does. The one thing here I also want to mention, because this is recurring throughout the chapter, that I thought was really interesting was um, JK's very deliberate with a lot of her word choices. Mm -hmm. And she describes Mrs. Fig as cat-loving and as baddie. And I feel like there's maybe something a little bit there where, yes, okay, she's got a bunch of cats. Yes, okay, she's maybe a little bit eccentric. But when you also think of, like, witches, you do kind of associate them with bats and cats. So yeah. I thought it was kind of, and it, she repeatedly uses those phrases throughout the chapter, and I thought that might be a bit of a hint towards foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So this peaceful, serene uh, flower bed listening to the news gets interrupted by loud noises, and we get an echoing crack, a shriek, a cat streaking, a bellowed oath, which is an interesting thing, and uh, I don't know, and some breaking china from, from the Dursley house. Uh, Vernon Petunia not happy about it, and they end up catching him, which then ends up with Harry hitting his head on the windowsill. Like, He's getting taller. He has your problems now. <laughs> I wouldn't even be able to get to the flower bed in the beginning. <laughs> but yes. Um, so we get the first concussion suffered by Harry in this chapter. I do like his little uh, comeback to Vernon, though, when he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, listening to the news. He's like, well, why do you need to listen to the news every day? And Harry comes back with this great Harry one-liner. It might be one of his top <laughs> five, maybe top three. I'm going to put it top three Harry comebacks of all time with, well, you see, the, the news changes every day. He's so sassy. That was sass. <laughs> I also like that they describe Vernon and Petunia when they find out that Harry's been listening to the news as having looks of outrage. Like, how dare you? How dare you listen to the news? <laughs> What a weirdo. <laughs> it's more normal to not know who the prime minister is. Right. We learn that he gets frustratingly little from his usual sources of information in the wizarding world. Uh, he gets letters from Ron and Hermione that are insanely frustrating and even more enticing, which I feel that's the problem. Yeah, they didn't do a great job of reading his emotions when they wrote these letters. Not at all. It was like, you're <laughs> missing out. Yeah, <laughs> I, it was just <laughs> terrible. And you figure, I would say you'd expect that from Ron. Hermione, Hermione should have. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. <laughs> I wonder if that's also, because he does make a note in here that um, Hermione's letter did say something about when we see you. 
which sort of implies that they're going to see him soon. So maybe she was trying to give him like a little bit of relief by mentioning yeah. that, but it's not the most empathetic way of going about it. Well, at least Sirius has more comforting letters of just like, hey, I know this is frustrating. I know you're not happy with what has been going on, but stay patient, stay patient, stay mm-hmm. patient. But like my favorite part in this whole chapter is when he's describing Sirius's letters and he says that there's some, maybe a little bit of Sirius being hypocritical in the letters by telling him to stay calm. Yeah, when be a the good first boy. thing, right? When he, the the quote here is he the first thing he or the, nevertheless it was quite galling, quite galling to be told not to be rash by a man who had served twelve years in the wizard prison, escaped, attempted to commit the murder he had been convicted of for <laughs> in the first place, and then gone on the run with a stolen hippogriff. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's nice that Sirius is trying to make him feel better and trying to keep him calm, but... Sirius is trying to be the adult. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do kind of philosophy. Yeah. To your point, after these letters kind of come through and he's kind of reminiscing about how just the irritating level of the vagueness in these letters, we get that first real sense of Harry Potter angst. And he uses, to your point, it's not just a general recap. I feel like the recap serves a plot purpose here and that it comes through via his angst. Like he's using his angst as a way to recap us all. Well, that's what I made a note about. Like J.K. does such a great job of like writing that bitterness of his tone. Like when he's talking about like, you know, my scar hurts, but I doubt anyone cares. I'm not going to bother telling them. And like when he sees... um, Dudley walking by the park and he's like he'd love to vent some of his frustration on the boys who once made his life hell he's like so on the edge right now and trying so hard just to like you know stay on the one side of the line but it's really hard because life is very frustrating right now and there's just so much angst I love the angst <laughs> he's so emo <laughs> he's like I mean he's, he's got the angst of feeling kind of let down by his friends well, and kind okay, of feeling like, isolated. One, there's anxiety of like, okay, I know what could be happening out there. Like yeah. Voldemort, I know he's there. He exists. I saw him come back. and I know that, things are happening. Things are happening, but I don't have the means to get knowledge about it because either the newspaper is stupid and not reporting anything or the people who would give me news are just not, and that's annoying so that leads to outrage and then there's also the whole level of trauma of like you saw Voldemort return you saw Cedric die plus normal general teenage hormones and it's just like yeah. this perfect combination of just yeah. like everyone's against me no one understands me life is unfair angst 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 and he's capable he's proven through the as much as I hated the second task He's proven that he is capable in dangerous situations. He's been doing that since he was 11 years old. So the idea of him being left on the outside of these conversations is like, has no one like seen what I can do? I can literally be of help here. I dueled Voldy and I came out alive. Isn't that worth something? I see where a lot of it's coming from here. Jen, you hate angst. What do you got? <laughs> I, okay, it's not that I hate angst. It is not that I hate angst. I am as emo as they come. But uh, I, I, I don't mind it in this chapter, I will say. Okay. I feel like this all of this is, is well-deserved. He's being left in the dark. He's frustrated about it. His friends are off. He's thinking they're having a good time without him. Everyone's been there. Uh, it's just, it's a perfect storm of all of these different things coming together. And it does a really good job of explaining where he's at mentally. And there are some really good points to be made that he can handle a lot of things and he, and he feels that people aren't giving him enough credit for that. I think all of that is fair so far. Good. All right. We're all on the same page. <laughs> We're all good there. I love it. We're all it. good. Um, yeah, it does almost get him into a little bit of trouble later on because he ends up going along to the park and sits with his thoughts and then sees Dudley and his gang, and he has these thoughts of like, notice me, look at me, I want to fight, I want this, like bring it, and uh, can get him in trouble. That reckless streak is just a little bit of a sliver of his, he's, he has some very deep, deep angst. Like he's so close to the dark side. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, there's a lot more bubbling underneath the surface <laughs> for him. I agree, there's... 
I think a lot of people chalk it up to what um, Elizabeth said is like, it's also a little bit of hormones here where it's like uh, going back to our discussion, Jen, mm -hmm. with Ron and Harry and some of their fights. Yeah. And that idea of like, usually guys just like fight it out, get it over with and move on. Because mm -hmm. um, that's how teenage boys think is just like, oh. girls don't do that. No. <laughs> no. Psychological <laughs> warfare, 100%. Right. This is a little more aggressive, where he's, like, wanting a fight to come happen. I think she does, to JK's credit, I think she does a good job of writing Harry's angst. Yeah. I do enjoy reading how he ends up fighting that uh, temptation to start a fight. But I love how she writes then him letting out all of that frustration in just the most sass-filled comments. <laughs> and I will give Dudley some credit because after he says goodbye to his gang and Harry catches up with them down the alleyway, Dudley's restraint is <laughs> top-notch. Because yep. some of the things that Harry's getting at him on, I think would send most people's fist coming his way. You know what quote always makes me laugh every single time? Hmm. <laughs> when he's like, not this brave, brave at night, are you? He's like, this is night, diddlykins. That's what we call it when it goes all dark like this. You're like, <laughs> you're so, such a punk. But then Deadly comes right back at him. Yeah. And hits him hard. It's just interesting because like, we know Dudley when he was younger would have just immediately punched Harry. And, and this is the... Like, so, verbal attack is Harry's power, because Dudley is afraid of the magic that he could potentially do. But there's such an interesting dynamic. I think that's an interesting point. I think you see a little bit of growth in Dudley here. The lack uh, of haste in resorting to physical violence. But he's also growing a little bit more mentally, too. Mm -hmm. And he's able to come back at Harry verbally with something that probably cuts 10 times deeper, 100 times deeper than whatever Harry just said. Yeah. Like, he hit him hard. And Harry's yeah. like, I, I don't have... How many times has Harry Potter never had a response? <laughs> All the things Draco has ever said to him, he's always had a response. And this one, he's just like, what, 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 what do you mean? He did not see this one coming. No. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he's like, oh, no, he's making it up. He's making it up. Wait, how does he know Cedric's name? Which also makes me wonder, like, how loudly was he yelling Cedric's name in his sleep? I think it's full-blown night terrors. Was like, Dudley, like walking by and just being like, what's going on in there? I yeah. think they could... Uh, Sneaking to the fridge in the middle of the night for a snack and just being Cedric. If Dudley is hearing this, what do you think Vernon and Petunia are thinking? Oh, they don't care. Because they're... Yeah. Yeah, but that's got to be... Dist they're already disturbed by Harry, just him existing. Now he's, like, screaming in his sleep about death and murder and father save me. And they know who his father is. They know who his mother is. Like, they have to be, like, They probably won't have been, like, noise-canceling earplugs. Soundproof. Kind of to, like, shut up, Harry. It definitely depends on the layout of the house. Yeah. Because, like, my parents, if I started screaming in, in my bedroom in my parents' house, there's no way that they're going to hear me because they've got a sound machine and they're, like, across the way. But, like, I'm next to other rooms that, like, you could ostensibly hear me in. Fair enough. So, I'm like, yeah, my parents would be like banging on the wall. Like, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> so, um, that's an interesting interaction between the two of them, just as things like it's a dark comment to make. It's a dark moment emotionally. <laughs> it's just interesting, too, because it's like we don't see much of Dudley and Harry talking to each other when the adults aren't around and having the not like we haven't seen that since. What before Dobby showed up, right? When you he see, was, like the... taunting him about like, oh, you have no friends. You like see that. that their relationship has grown yeah. in some ways, that at least they're communicating back and forth. Whereas it seemed in the earlier books that communication level was not there. And it's interesting that Dudley isn't afraid to at least hint at the fact that magic exists. Whereas Vernon and Petunia both are like, you know, let's pretend as much as possible that that is not a thing. And he's like, I know you got that thing. Makes it feel like a big man, doesn't it? That that wand you got hiding with your magical powers. <laughs> but like he's been trained his whole life to just pretend like magic doesn't exist. So the fact that he will openly address it with Harry is interesting. Yeah. Well, Dudley might be a little bit smarter than Harry definitely gives him credit for. And honestly, he's probably smarter than both Vernon and Petunia give him credit for because yeah. he's obviously, to your point, 
bucking that like um, that thought process that they're trying to just ingrain in him. Uh, he knows. Dudley seems to have a little bit of a. He's very different when he's away from his parents. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I give Dudley a lot of credit for uh, having the restraint to not deck Harry. But then, comes <laughs> the, so they have a dark moment emotionally here, and then they have a dark moment literally physically as darkness, complete blackness descends. Yeah, the darker you can get. Yes, like almost no light can escape from this. And understandably, Dudley is uh, not happy about this. He thinks Harry's doing it because Harry just pulled a wand on him. Which is a reasonable conclusion. A hundred percent. And, you know, he's starting to freak out a little bit because he doesn't know what's going on. And this is beyond what a punch can fix, even though he still tries it anyway. <laughs> Smacks him right there. <laughs> Stop and, doing that, deck. <laughs> and again, I, like, I always remember reading this and being like, oh, Dudley, why did you do that? You just made things worse. And he does. But at the same time, put yourself in Dudley's shoes here. Well, yeah. That's that's all you got. You're freaking out. You're panicking. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting seeing from the muggle perspective. It's like, okay, well, obviously we know, like, Dementors are attacking. So the whole world gets dark, and he feels cold, and he starts to hear creepy sound coming down the alleyway that he can't identify. And there's the, the feeling that starts to come with it of, I'll never be happy again. So for him, it's like, I mean, this is, I, I don't know if it's scarier to know what it is that's coming after you or to not know. You know? I, I think it's scarier to not know. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like that unknown of just like what's coming. With the physical, like if I actually saw what was making me feel this way, I still feel like I could fight it off. Mm -hmm. Even if I couldn't because Dudley can't fight a Dementor. Right. But you had that feeling, that little rise of like, oh, I could well, at least you also see what you're supposed to be running away from. Right. I mean, the, he runs right towards them. Right. <laughs> they got so much closer than I remember them getting. Like, they literally almost got kissed. I saw the arms coming out, like, the, the creepy, decaying hands. And he said that he could smell, like, the death breath, like, right up in his face. And the only thing that saved him was the thoughts of Harry and Hermione. That was such a nice detail. Yeah, even when he's mad there. at them. It's, it's like, still... you're my friends. Yep. That's how you know it's a true friendship. Yeah. The idea that this is it and that he's not going to ever see them again. Yeah. Uh -huh. I love that that was his driving force. Also, um, before I completely forget with this, I liked how even though he didn't have his wand, he was still able to cast Lumos. It is an interesting detail. When Dudley takes a swing at him in darkness, which I guess is a testament to Dudley's boxing skills that he's developed now, <laughs> hits Harry in like complete darkness. Glasses go flying and the wand goes flying and then he's able to... His fingertips are close to it, but not on the wand, and he's still able to cast the spell, which is interesting. Harry's able to cast the Patronus charm, which seems to be a particularly powerful one. Yeah. And I liked how he really took charge with it and directed it. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 now this way now, and it turns and comes the other way down well, the alley. Well, like the Dementor was literally like grabbing at Dudley's hands, trying to pry them away from his mouth because they're so clamped on of, of like, I mean, Harry said, keep your mouth shut, so he's literally trying to keep his mouth shut so he came so close so close to being kissed do you think that would have been dudley's first kiss oh <laughs> talk about a dark Aww. thought <laughs> i guess i'm dead <laughs> or well it wasn't better. his first one so okay you don't I'll... know all right, you want dark thoughts, I'll throw another one at you. You think he, now he has PTSD, so when he does get that first kiss, he's oh, like, nope. Oh, the first person he tries to kiss is going to get vomited on. That PTSD is real. I, I More promise therapy. you that. Poor Dudley. Um, it's like the first time I've ever said that. Well, Poor Dudley. I, I think what saves him here is he couldn't actually see the entity. So he couldn't necessarily tell that what is happening is a kiss. <laughs> True. <laughs> Harry just said, close your mouth. <laughs> That's all he said. What if whoever he tries to kiss, though, has not, like, brushed their teeth or had, like, a breath mint or something? And then it's just like... Well, this, that's just unfortunate in general. And then it's just like this, like, <laughs> like this death breath coming on I would face. just feel bad for him in general. Like, nope, that. this is reminding me of my trauma. <laughs> I will not be kissing you today. But then you can't describe what trauma you have unless you're going... You know, he knows it made him feel something. 
<laughs> this would also make him feel something, just not quite the romance he was looking for. You're trying to kiss him and he's like, no, you know what? This is reminding me too much of depression. <laughs> Could you imagine being told that? <laughs> wow, we went a different place. <laughs> no love for Dudley. Oh, man. Harry ends up getting rid of the Dementors and he's um, getting ready to try to get Dudley back and he sees Mrs. Fig at the end of the alleyway uh, and he tries to shove his wand away to, to hide it and she's like, I, I want to get this quote specifically right, mm -hmm. quote, don't put it away, idiot boy, end quote. <laughs> In the last several chapters, we've had several different individuals speaking of Harry in a non-flattering, <laughs> intelligent way. Um, Harry's having a rough time. Harry's having so a rough so. couple of months. But My um, mind was blown when I first read that line, though. I was like, oh my gosh, Mrs. Fig, you know yeah. about the Wizarding World? What? So, And that's a great point, because I had the exact same reaction as you the first time. Honestly, every time I've read it, yeah. of like, yeah. wow, I can't believe this entire time Fig is in on this. I can't believe it. That's a like out of left field thing. And then doing this podcast, if you've listened to the episodes, she's called out in like the parting of the ways chapter. Dumbledore literally specifically mentions alert Fig. <laughs> so it's not a twist at no. all, actually, but. I just remember, like, after reading this chapter, like, I literally had to stop and be like, okay, I have to process because everything that I knew is, yeah, no. is not right. And everything I thought was going to happen is not happening yet. And just imagine, I was, like, imagining Harry as, like, a little 11-year-old or, or younger just going over to Mrs. Figs and, and having to listen to all the cat stories <laughs> and eating her cake and just being like, I hate this place. And her knowing this is Harry Potter. Crazy. Yeah, I love how she's like, I had to make it not fun for you because <laughs> um, then Dursley's wouldn't let you over. Um, but do you think, honest honest question here, do you think JK herself forgot that she mentioned Fig at the end of Goblet of Fire and made this like a big twist? No, I feel like this is similar to her mentioning Sirius in the very first chapter of the very first book. It's like, here's this name... That you're going to forget about because it's a little tiny detail. And when you do see it in context, like the way Harry does, then you're like, what? Mind blown. I feel like she does like to do that. Let us know if your mind was blown at the whole Mrs. Fig of it all. Uh, if you've, <laughs> We know that uh, we have a lot of first-time readers um, tuning into this podcast. Yeah, way more than I thought. So let us know if you were reading Goblet of Fire... And you roll into Order of the Phoenix in this first chapter, and you're like, oh my gosh, Mrs. Fig is part of this world. With that, we will end it here <laughs> and transition to the spoiler section, where we will have spoilers. Uh, we will get some takeaways from Jen and Elizabeth on their Goblet of Fire thoughts, and then uh, we'll take a look ahead to what Order of the Phoenix really uh, has for us, which is a lot. Okay. So enjoy the new break sound, and we will be right back. All right, we are back with the spoiler section of Chapter 1, Dudley Demented. And we're going to start off with some of Elizabeth and Jen's takeaways from the previous book, Goblet of Fire, because they haven't really gotten a chance to kind of give their two cents on the whole thing. Elizabeth, what you got? Um, well, I think the first time that I read it, it was like, one, there was an aspect of like, <laughs> I just finished such a big book. You know, because it's so thick. And then when Gobble, um, when that was over and then Order of the Phoenix came, I was super happy that it was just as thick. I really hoped that the sixth one would also be just as thick, if not bigger. I was like, we're going to get, like, Bible-sized books soon. And I was really happy for that. Um, I love the Triwizard Tri Tournament concept. I thought that was really cool seeing foreigners come and play with the kids and all the different types of magic that they'd have to do. I think my favorite was probably the dragons. I feel like the maze could have been the favorite, except for the fact that we didn't really get to see much because a certain someone cleared away all the obstacles for Harry. Um, but I think from a student standpoint, all three would be really weird to watch. 
Like the dragons would probably be the most entertaining, but just staring at the lake for an hour and staring at hedges for an hour would be <laughs> not the most entertaining. I don't know. I'm imagining like a whole on sporting event. Like, yes, you can't really see anything going on, except for the maze, you could at least see like sparks going up, like spells, like guess, lights throughout the maze. But it just seems like it, it, we need like. But I'm imagining vendors with like butterbeer going through <laughs> and like. We need this, the big TVs that, like, the Muggle World has, you know? I have a question, though, about the maze. Weren't they, weren't, um, if it was where the Quidditch pitch was, weren't they high up? Couldn't they see over the hedges? Like, you might be able to have, like, a, like, a bird's eye view. Of, Maybe. Like, Maybe a little bit. Like, I feel like it was just so tightly packed it together. The, all the hedges were so close to each other, it'd be, like, blur. Yeah, like, I can barely see it. I think you would have... A view, but you wouldn't have a great view. Like it's all obstructed viewing. <laughs> like it's all all obstructed. Right, exactly. I'd want to know what other tasks they've had in the past. Like, I mean, there was the one that was talking about having to chase after some magical creature. I forget what kind it was and how dangerous that was or whatever. But it'd be interesting to see what other types of ones that they came up with. You know. Especially because this was supposed to be a safer one. Yeah. Quote. <laughs> Dragon. Yeah. Going underwater. <laughs> Survive. Yeah. Have fun. No. But I think the other takeaway probably, like you guys have discussed multiple, multiple times, is how well played Barty Crouch's plan was. And I guess technically it's Voldemort's plan, but how well Barty Crouch played it in order to succeed without drawing attention to himself. Real good. Just so happened, a lot of his uh, priorities and uh, genuine feelings mingled so well with what Moody himself would have thought. Yeah. Um, it just was. I don't even know if Voldy himself intended it to be that seamless. <laughs> like, I don't think he could have ever envisioned something going so perfectly well. <laughs> How, how do you think Voldy probably reacted when he got the news that Barty Crouch Jr. was out of the picture? Do you think he was actually a little... No. I don't I don't want to say sad, because I don't think he cares. No, I think but... he was very much like, oh, well, he's done. Doesn't matter, though, because I'm back. His most faithful <laughs> servant, you don't think he has any kind of, like... No, maybe, think... maybe like, well, that sucks. Voldy's harsh. What were you going to say? He has no love for anyone. No, I feel like it would have been a little sad. Maybe not sad. Maybe sad is too strong of a word, but I think he would have looked at him and been like, this strategically is not optimal. (laughs) (laughs) Like, emotionless, like, I could just take a bit of a loss there. Now I'm I'm envisioning Ralph Fiennes going like, this was suboptimal. I don't know. I think I think he valued Barty Crouch Jr. a lot more than like Avery, who came to growl at his feet. Well, I feel you know? like the value comes from what he can bring to Voldemort's life. Mm-hmm. And sure, the value has been used, so now we can discard it. Same way we did with um, Quirrell. I think he. I think he would look at it as he was competent. <laughs> Crab and Goyle. Uh, mm-hmm. what am I going to do with those two? Well, you, you exist. You stand there. Well, but you like you... <laughs> and you're loyal to me, then it doesn't matter. That's that's what he sees. I just think it's very much like, like, you served your purpose. You brought me back. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Now let's get to work. Harsh. <laughs> Um, yeah, Jen, what do you, what do you got from Goblet of Fire? I really liked Goblet of Fire. Um, I liked that it expanded the wizarding world. Um, I liked that it was a little bit different from the previous three books where it was, the the previous three books were very much, it's a school thing, there are exams, you know, things happen, but this kind of broke that up. There wasn't Quidditch, they had the Triwizard Tournament, they had, you know, a Yule Ball, and they had foreign students visiting and it, it expanded everything and it was a nice break in that sense to just not have a fourth book of like Harry goes to his classes Harry gets into a fight with Draco <laughs> Harry you know the world gets bigger that right. very formulaic yeah. model yeah. gets turned on its head a little bit so it's nice to see mm-hmm. getting a break from that and then I also really kind of liked that it ended on a downer um mm, because yeah. it's it to me the end of goblet of fire is really with with voldemort coming back that's really the like that's the an inflection point in the series of 
things are going to get heavier, things are going to get darker, things are going to get more mature. And like, it's just, it's a good, um, it's a good transition. I like the transition a lot. It's depressing, but the transition. It reminds me of like in the MCU with the Infinity War ending. Because yes. you're like, the stakes are so high yes. and you don't expect the thing to happen. Yeah. But then it does and you're like, well, what are they going to do? Yeah. And that's the... The kicker like that, that brings you into the next book. I like that feeling. It was it, It's a frustrating ending because you obviously want to see justice happen and justice doesn't happen and it does introduce the conflict between Fudge and, and Dumbledore, but it is just like a, it ends on such a nice note of like, what? What's and then next? leaving us for three years That's to harsh. imagine yeah. what it well, will be, though. Yeah. I like that. And, uh, you know, I like that point a lot. Um, to your MCU point, a lot of people have criticized MCU because it's so formulaic and that superheroes win every single time outside of, like, Infinity War. Right. And that gets old after a while. It gets boring. You want to feel invested in the villain at some level. And this... You want to feel like there's a real threat. Right. Yes. And there's this is a real threat. And then if yes. you really think about it, uh, yes, one, two, and three end on a happy yep. Disney-esque kind of happy ending. Things are wrapped up neatly. But yeah. four, five, six, mm-hmm. all... Even seven doesn't even end that happily. I mean, really, there's death there. Well, <laughs> like... also, there's so much... What I love so much is, like, there's... Especially from this point on, it's we know what is right, we know what is just, and we know what should be happening, and there's the frustration that none of that is happening. Yeah. And it's such a real world thing to see, like, here's the problem, here's an easy solution, why are we not doing that? Reasons. (laughs) All these complicated reasons that are stupid, but everyone's like, like, I mean, like, the ministry, right? They're trying to avoid the spreading of the panic and trying to ignore Voldemort's return, but that just causes more issues. And then when it does happen, then it's like, oh, well, now we're a whole year behind where we could have been in order to properly prepare to combat him. And then just, like, you have the element of, I mean, not brainwashing, but literal magic that can turn people against themselves and against each other. It's just total chaos. I think the frustrating bit is not that... Fudge or the ministry is against widespread panic. I think they're right, and that's a problem in a lot of different ways. Disorganization, uh, violence, a a lot of different things. But the frustrating bit is you can do both. You can not have panic, Mm -hmm. and you can start moving chess pieces behind the scenes. So I think what Fudge needed to do was have a more productive conversation with Dumbledore. Is like, okay, if you're right... Here's how we have to proceed. You as like the anti-Voldy movement and me as the head of a government. Mm. How we should proceed here. And I think both would have good points of like... I think Fudge is within his right as the Minister of Magic to be like, Albus, you can't do it this way. You, You can't maybe take all of the steps you want to take because it would have ramifications for the general person. But you're right. I do need to take some steps in, you know, figuring this out. If you don't believe it, then figure it out. And if it is true, then what are we going to (laughs) do? Like, it's both. I think you have to start taking steps to get to where Dumbledore is saying. It's like, you can't jump right into what Dumbledore wants to do because not everyone in the wizarding world is going to be as receptive to what Dumbledore is saying. But, like, you can't sit on it and be like, well... It's fine. Like, maybe you should start getting to a, a place where you can execute what Dumbledore is saying. It doesn't have to be tomorrow, but, like, you know, this is real. This just happened. Maybe right. let's do something. Right. It's just why Ignoring I... Ignoring it will not help. It's why I love that the parting of the ways discussion between them so much is because there's so much nuance in it of what can happen and the fallout from it and... Large decisions have a big fallout. Small decisions have a big fallout. Well, and Dumbledore saying, like, you know, as long as we're both against Voldemort, we're still on the same side. Yeah. But Fudge just sees it as, you know, a a thing of pride and fear and wanting to avoid the acknowledgement that Voldemort's back. Because that would be a very scary thing. Well, it... And then they won't vote for me. (laughs) But, so, Anna and I brought up the idea of, like, Let's say they go public with this, right? You're the Minister of Magic. People are going to be coming to you for answers, right? And if you're not comfortable 
being there, the one answering those questions, what are you going to do? Pull Dumbledore up and answer those questions? Well, then that does hurt you politically because now they shift focus from you to him. And now Fudge's position in his seat of power is diminished. Like, this is a lose-lose, lose-lose-lose option for Fudge. You could form a committee. <laughs> just not put Dumbledore on it. I don't know. I think it's just inherently selfish to put your own position ahead of the greater good. He is Ooh, a that's a loaded term you just threw out there, though. The greater good. The greater oh, I know. <laughs> I am a Slytherin. <laughs> well played. Thank you. Um, you're right. Uh, Fudge is certainly being selfish here. I mean, the, the, the... especially of a risk of this magnitude. That's the other thing. It's yeah. not like this is like a you know. Well, I mean, and we see that come out later in book six. Like literally everything that Dumbledore predicted would happen did. So we're getting into the kind of the future a little bit here um, and pronosticating out. What about just in this book? What are kind of some of the things that we're looking forward to in this book? The characters. Oh, my God. Like? Who, you, um, who are you most looking forward to? One singular character that you're looking forward to the most. Yeah, I'm, yeah I know. I know. That's why I asked the question. One of my favorite characters is in this book because I identify with her so much. But... I have to say Umbridge. Umbridge is the Ooh. one I'm most looking forward to because I hate her guts so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do the family feud. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. The other answer was Luna. I love Luna so much. She's amazing. She's on the record of saying Umbridge. I wonder... But only Umbridge because she is such a good villain. Like, she... I hate her more than Voldemort. And I don't know... I mean, like, everyone hates Umbridge, but I don't know if it's just because she's in an educational position and I can see administrators who act like her or other teachers who I've interacted with. Who I are hope like no her. one acts like her. There are some people I've had interactions with before who remind me a little bit of Umbridge. It's just that power trip and it, seeing her in an educational situation and knowing what she's doing and seeing her get so power hungry and I, oh, I just love to hate her so much. I have comments on that, but Jen, you're one character that you might be looking forward to seeing the most. That is a good question. <laughs> and I suppose I would have to say Luna, because I did not like Umbridge. <laughs> but the difference between Elizabeth and I is that I also don't want to read about Umbridge. <laughs> so, Very fair. Uh, that is fair. She makes she just gets my blood boiling. That's why. I I agree, and and that's part of what I was referring to in the non spoiler section of why I actually like this book and the fact <laughs> that it does kind of get under your under oh, your skin it gets and it's such an emotional reaction. It does get an emotional reaction, and I think I just find myself going like, oh, I hate this lady so much, <laughs> and I hate reading about her. To your point, Jen, but at the same time, I'm like the fact that I'm reading a book. And it's making me feel yeah. like this is really good writing yeah. on her part. And I, I don't know. I, that's just how I view it. So I'm, I guess, more similar with you. That's the part that we inherently disagree on. <laughs> because I'm reading this book and I'm hating Umbridge and I'm hating Harry's angst and I'm hating the like <laughs> repeated like, Harry, why won't you listen? I know what's right. And just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm reading it and I'm feeling the exact same thing that you guys are feeling. My blood is boiling. I'm like you know, very amped up by this, but my take on this is, this is my free time. <laughs> I don't want to be this mad in my free time. Like, yeah, the, the writing's fantastic and I can really relate to this, but like, I want to go calm down. <laughs> I, you know, to that point, I, I have literally had conversations with people that couldn't get through this book because it was too emotionally draining on them as they were reading it. I've had those conversations with people. Oh, I love that aspect. I do too because I, I appreciate it, but like you're saying, uh, it does affect people and people sometimes can't get through this and for different reasons. One, it's like maybe you can uh, relate to this too much and it sets you on edge or it gives you anxieties or or whatever. You just don't like reading about such intense practices. I think <laughs> I have also you. look at it as like, Assuming you're around Harry's age when you're reading this, then you're 15 years old, 14, 15, and it's showing you that, like, 
the world is not split into just good and evil. There's these people who operate somewhere in the middle and they might be working in the ministry, but they do stupid things the way Fudge does, or they're very like prideful the way Umbridge is and think that they know better than these stupid teenagers. Which there are educators like that and they shouldn't be in education, but that's a whole different story. But like the the fact that it's like, you know, the world isn't always doing things for good. Sometimes there's that selfishness behind it. I think it's such a huge lesson for young people to learn so that they can then navigate the world and doing it through Harry's eyes is an interesting way to grow up. So um, is there an event specifically in this? I, I'll, I'll just throw it out there because I know it's the major event that all of us are going to look forward to talking about. The whole department of mysteries of it all. I know we're all looking forward to discussing that chapter. We're going to try to do something big for it as far as big group discussion because it's a big one. Mm -hmm. um, but is there like a specific event that you're looking forward to in this? We have a couple. I really love the lesson on the Thrustles. That's how you say it, right? Thrustles? Thestrals? Thestrals, the, yes. the, the, the actual The death horses. horses. Yeah. <laughs> I love them. Surprise, surprise. Shocking. <laughs> I just love how it's like, they're, like, I mean, one, Harry now can see them and he feels like he's going insane because he can see them and Luna can also see them and Luna's a little bit of a weirdo, but it's a great way. But I think it's just nice to see that, like, in death, in seeing that trauma of death, then you're not alone because you can see these creatures there now who can, like, comfort you, even if they are kind of skeleton-looking and creepy. But they're so adorable. <laughs> they're so helpful. So I know this is not maybe your, uh, let's say, diplomatically favorite of the books, yes. but uh, yes. is there any events that you're particularly looking forward to reading? Or? Um, I do really like the Department of Mysteries. I think that's my favorite chapter. But aside from that, I get a lot of joy reading about uh, Fred and George Weasley. Okay. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. I have a different done. question for you that I just thought of. Yeah. Since this is not your favorite book, yeah. specifically, is there one thing that you really hate reading about it? Yes. I dislike the whole arc of Snape and Harry working together um, to prevent Voldemort from getting access into... Occlumency. Yeah. Okay. I do not like Occlumency. That whole arc. That whole arc to me... Interesting. Okay. Because I, I didn't think you were going to go there, so that's fascinating. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. There's nothing but conflict. Neither of them ne neither of them want to, to put their hatred for the other person aside to look at the fact... Again, I'm going to say greater good here. Like, this is a really uncomfortable situation to be in. You hate your professor. Your professor hates you. But Dumbledore, who you respect and revere, is telling you you need to do this thing. And yeah, he's been caged and he's avoiding you, but... He, you, he's never been wrong, I guess, in your eyes. Like it, to the to the point that Harry's exposed to him, it does seem like dumb, he sh he should be thinking that Dumbledore at least has a reason for this, right? Mm -hmm. But he's he's like, well, Dumbledore's not going to teach me, so guess it's not that important. Mm -hmm. And it's like you, th th this entire and Snape, as a counterpoint to that, also has been working closely with Dumbledore for years. Should also know that Dumbledore has a point when he's trying to get him to do these things, but neither of them can get past that, and they're so caught up in their own emotions over the situation that they are just like, you know what, can't get over it, we're done, and then what happens? Well, the the thing there is, it's not just your normal teacher-student interpersonal problems. Like, this isn't just over, like, a bad grade or he kind of picks on you in class. Mm -hmm. There's a personal tinge to this right. that runs, obviously, very deep for yeah. both of them. Mm -hmm. And and you could, you know, you could get on Snape for that personal tinge as much as you want, but the fact is, it's there. And, I, you know, I, I won't be the first... You know, there's always people that have personal little grudges uh, that you know in your own head, I should let this go, or this is kind of dumb, but yet you still look inside yourself and it's still there. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? There's that personal tinge in there. Whether you like it or not, it's there. It To me, it's the difference of, okay, I might not get along with, like, a coworker, 
I might dislike my coworker. So I'm going to want to minimize my interactions with that coworker. Mm -hmm. But if my job's on the line, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to work with that coworker. And this is not my job is on the line. This is the wizarding world as a community <laughs> is on the line. Yeah. Maybe suck it up. Like, I get it. I get it's bad. I get there's a deep, deep resentment on both sides. I'm sympathetic to that. On the other hand, it's a job. I think it's also the nature of what they're doing. Like, it's the personal twinge, right. but you're also literally having to look inside someone else's mind, which is a deeply it's personal awful. thing. Yes. So it's like personal on top of personal, and it's just right. a literal powder keg ready to explode at any given moment. I, and it does. And I don't think that it makes it easy by any means. And yeah. I know he's in a he's definitely in a place where it's just a really bad thing. But it's just for me, the entire arc is just all, right. all of this. Let me I'll take tell a note. You what. You, I have, I thought of another thing that I'm looking forward to, and I thought of the thing that I'm not looking forward to. I am looking forward to the removal requirements with the D, the Defense Against mm -hmm. the Dark Arts group. That because is good. I love the removal requirements. It's cool magic. The thing I'm least looking forward to is his Valentine's Day date. That is the cringiest part of the book for me. Really? I hate it. Oh, that's funny. I hate so, it so let me much. just <laughs> let me just take a note, putting down Jen for the <laughs> chapter, putting down no. Um, so, I think the thing I'm looking forward to most also has to do with the DA, and it's specifically the Hogshead scene, mm, uh, yeah. where they're literally forming it to begin with. Um, I love that scene. It's uh, a good scene. It's a really good one. Thing I'm least liking, uh, looking forward to. Um, you know what? Honestly, it's I've never been a fan. This might give me some heat too, but whatever. <laughs> um, I've never been a big fan of the whole Grop arc. Yeah, I've never been a fan of that. No, I'm with you on that. It, it seems unnecessary uh, and just like a random thing to just throw in there for extra. Uh, I don't even know what. <laughs> Haggard backstory, I suppose. I suppose, but I'm just like, is this this is needed? It's, it seems yeah. unnecessary. I've never been a fan of that arc, but some people might be. <laughs> but let us know if you're fans of Grop. Do you want to talk about spoilers from this chapter? Sure, if you got any, bring them. Well, we know that loud crack of dissipating. That was Mundungus. He's going after. Who was also mentioned in that last, like this was literally the yeah. Mundungus fig part. He's going of that. after those fallen cauldrons, which is so like. Like, he is the personification of just, like, the black market. He's just... Hopefully they were thick-bottomed cauldrons. Otherwise, <laughs> Percy would be very upset. <laughs> There's that. And then, like, we know this is the turning point in Dudley's character. Like, we've mentioned it before, and I forget which episode it was, but, like, Dudley has had such an amazing life, so he doesn't really see depression when the Dementors are nearby. Um, according to the Wizarding World, that's he is forced to see himself from, like, other people's perspectives. And he's like, wow, I'm an awful human being. And he feels that as enough to make him, like, completely change his ways. But I was wondering, what do you think would have happened if Dudley had been kissed? If he had been kissed, yeah. specifically? Because I was like, okay, well, I guess he's a muggle. And, like, obviously, if he was just a regular okay. muggle, then they'd probably just come in and just, like, do, I don't know, kill him or something, because then it'd be like, well, he has no soul. But he belongs to a family that knows of magic, and they would obviously demand answers from the ministry. So then would there be an inquiry, and then, like, Umbridge get in trouble, or would she be able to, like, hide it somehow? You, you know what my honest answer to that is? I think it would break Petunia. Like, having lost two family members that... I think she loves and cares about mm -hmm. to the magical world. Mm -hmm. I, I would break her. I think it would absolutely completely break her. No, I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree. I'm just wondering more with like from the magical standpoint, like if the ministry is like, okay, here's proof that Dementors were there and we know because Dudley has no soul anymore. Assuming he had a soul to suck out. <laughs> Sorry, Dudley. But, like, then, That's harsh. <laughs> but then, like, they would obviously have to... They'd have the physical proof that the mentors attacked. So then they'd have to be like, okay, well, why are the Dementors here? And then they'd have to, like, go through the channels to try to figure out who ordered them there. Like, would Umbridge get caught for ordering the Dementors to attack? Or would she be able to, like, 
twist it somehow. Like I just don't know what would have done. And like Umbridge, like if if like if she were thinking ahead of like, oh wow, if these. I mean, obviously she's not thinking that Dudley's going to be there too. She just sent them after Harry, but like. I mean, what would have happened to her? Like, she wasn't thinking ahead that, like, this could backfire somehow. I'm going to be pessimistic. I'm not sure anything happens. Yeah. I think they sweep it under the rug, which is really depressing to think <laughs> about. that, too. Because think... he's a muggle. Right. Yeah. I, I honestly agree with you that they probably would sweep the whole thing under the rug. But how would that, if they're sweeping it all under the rug, how does that affect Harry, then, with the herring? Does he then get off because of that, if they're trying to just sweep it under the rug? Or do they still try to make... Because whatever you do, you're going to make news if you would expel Harry Potter from Hogwarts. Yeah. So if you're trying to sweep it under the rug, which I think is what Fudge would do, because that would be the cleanest way of doing it, Yeah. Um, then you can't punish Harry. I don't think they do. Yeah. Then you sweep the whole thing under the rug and yeah. just be like, this didn't exist. Go. I'm also curious how she gained access to the Dementors. Because like, we all the Dementors are in an ask ban. And we've talked before how they like to keep them all in the one spot for the most part. So I would assume she'd have to go there to get them herself and like pack them up and send the order to go attack. I don't know how they move because Fudge was able to call on one quite quickly for security. Yeah. Going to see Barty Crouch. Yeah. So but I don't... didn't he bring them to the castle for his own protection in the first place? No, like I don't. Outside the castle. I don't know that he had protection at the Triwizard Tournament because he didn't feel like he needed protection at the third task necessarily until Snape told him that a Death Eater is what caused everything. Right? I wonder if Dementors have the power to like apparate, teleport through the mm. darkness like yeah. a shadow. <laughs> like that'd <laughs> be terrifying. So That's terrifying, is what it is. Wherever depression goes, we can go to. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of their thing, isn't it? <laughs> like, well, I just wonder if they like followed Umbridge's orders because she's such a despicable human being that they're like, yeah, we'll go with you. It'll be fun. <laughs> um, I I think there's obviously there's more at play, but we we can get into it. <laughs> Um, as it kind of goes. Anybody else got some thoughts? You also had a point on you wanted to make about Lumos. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, with the wand. Yeah. So. I was thinking about that, like, this is clearly showing how Harry's magical abilities is growing, right? But there's also those aspects that we've seen where it's like the wand acts for itself sometimes. Like we saw with book four, how the wand, like, the core phoenix thing, that that wasn't some magic that Harry anticipated. And we see in book seven when the wand attacks Voldemort without Harry doing anything and nobody believes him, even though he's like, yeah, I didn't do that, that was the wand acting itself. Like, I wonder if this is another one of those cases where it's like the wand knows that Harry's in danger, so it, like, responds more quickly. Could. It could have a little bit to do with, like, we, so, wands are just conduits for magic. They focus it more. Right. Um, but they also seem to show personality. I mean, we know the wands choose the wizard, and we know you have sure. to win the loyalty of the wand before it functions for you well. His fingertips were near it. They yeah. just weren't on it specifically. So I think, like, it was aware of the magic that Harry was trying to yeah. pull off. So I just don't know if this is a case of, like, okay, Harry's grown in his magical abilities, or if it's a combination of that plus... I'm the gonna senses you're in danger. Gonna give you the most frustrating answer of all. It's all of the above. I think it's a little bit of all of the above. Of, such a cop out. That <laughs> is what it is. One of the other things I, I wanted to discuss is like, for first chapters, as first chapters ago, this is an action packed. This is a good one. Yeah, this is a good opening chapter that gets you right into the action right away. Also, I like the only tiny little bit of recap stuff that you always like love oh so much, especially that one chapter. Like, I thought they did it well here, though. Yeah, like I mean, there's there's not much like boring recap. It's just, by now it's assumed you know who Harry Potter is. He's a special boy. Very special boy. He's a very, very special, special boy. boy who happens to be a remarkable idiot. But, 
And on that note, <laughs> we will end it here. Uh, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed this chapter one. We hope you enjoyed Elizabeth and Jen on the same episode. Uh, this is a, a load to handle, but we will be we back next week too. We will be back Yay! next week with <laughs> chapter two, uh, where we get a whole bunch of owl talk. So we hope you like owls. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's going to be a hoot. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.